Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Rocket Mortgage, they know that a house is so much more than a house. It's your home. It's your dream. And for over 30 years, they've been making your dreams better. Rocket Mortgage. Push button. Get mortgage. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Send the tweets. Send the hot takes. Send what you thought of what I said about Home Alone. At Ken Carmen, C-A-R-M-A-N on Twitter. Sean Hyken in just about an hour, Bleach Report NBA writer. I tell him about my grand scheme for the midseason tournament, but... Another week of NFL football, Week 16, a crucial one in the AFC East. Some great news coming out this morning, possibly about Jameis Winston, at least for Jameis Winston. So we go to John Breach, CBS Sports NFL writer, at John Breach on Twitter to talk about all this, and including where Drew Brees figures into the top 10 all-time because they came a vicious debate earlier, even though it's so hack, but we still couldn't help ourselves to do it. First off, John, are we seeing just how important... Now, I know that inside football guys, the coaches you talk to, obviously they know that coaching is very, very important. But I think for a minute, fans kind of lost their way. Just, hey, get the quarterback and everything's going to be fine. Is Bruce Arians more of an example of this year and how coaching, how much more important coaching has been with young quarterbacks and guys who have even been in the league a couple of years who found themselves kind of going off the grid a little bit? Yes, absolutely, Ken. It is, we see it all the time where you see quarterbacks, uh, even Ryan Tannehill, we could use him as an example this year, where you just get drafted into the wrong system, you don't get along with that coach that you're with, and all of a sudden you look like a total failure, you get thrown in a new system, and all of a sudden you're completely successful. And so I think we've seen that Bruce Arians, he completely turned around Carson Palmer's career, which started to fall apart in about 2008. Uh, and now he's doing it again with Jameis Winston. So I think the fact that Jameis really feels like he's kind of got full grasp of Arian's offensive system, that this is a no-brainer decision for Tampa to bring him back for at least one more year to make sure he completely understands this system. And if he has another big year next year, then you sign him that long-term deal. And you go back to last year's draft class. I, I want to leave Rosen out of it. I just don't want to beat up on him any more than people have been beaten up. But you look at the beginning of the draft, the middle and the end, where – you have Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold go one and two overall. Both those coaches are in hot water. Both those coaches have been questioned like crazy. Both those quarterbacks are now have been questioned. Lamar Jackson is incubated. He takes off. He plays exceedingly well. Josh Allen doing the same thing now in Kansas City, or excuse me, in Buffalo, taking care of those football teams. It seems the sky's the limit for the back two. The other two people think are in trouble. I, I got to look over to not just their play. They've been great, but I got to look to the sidelines as well, John. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I, I am from Cincinnati, so like I, I follow a bunch of Cincinnati people on Twitter and Facebook, and I see Bengals fans complain all the time that, oh, we could have had Lamar Jackson. Why do we pass on him and not take him? And the thing is, it's a good example of what you're saying about coaching. If Lamar Jackson would have ended up in Cincinnati, it would have been a flop. The Bengals might have four wins now instead of one, uh, but they would not be where Baltimore is. Baltimore has a coaching staff, a forward-thinking, progressive coaching staff that was willing to 
revamp their entire offense and design a whole philosophy around the quarterback they drafted where most coaches try and make the quarterback fit their system because they don't want to change their system. Uh, and so that's one of those key things that you see. So it really is all about the offensive play caller you have on the sideline. And unfortunately, you know, Baker Mayfield's doing that with uh, Freddie Kitchens. And I think it's a little more difficult when it's your head coach. Cause like if it's the offensive coordinator who doesn't have a great system, you can just kind of fire him and bring somebody else in who agrees with you. But it does get a little more dicey when it's the head coach who is in charge of your offense. With Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, are you hitting an alarm on either one of those guys yet? No. I, I See, it's still early. And I think that Lamar Jackson's success has kind of spoiled uh, everyone in Baltimore and have everybody, everybody in Cleveland and New York is now questioning their draft pick. Why didn't we take Lamar Jackson? Uh, but it's still, it's their second year. You know, the Browns were just 0-16 a couple years ago, and I know I think somebody was saying that earlier this week. And so, yes, they had high expectations coming into the year, but to think that they were going to go 11 and five or 10 and four was just kind of getting overly optimistic. You know, I think 10 wins would have been great. If they get to eight and eight, I would say the season's a success, even though most people in Cleveland probably wouldn't agree with that. But it's the second year. You know, if they're still looking like this next year or into their fourth year, hi, you have to have a lot of concerns, be highly concerned. Uh, but if you're doing this in your second year, I'm not concerned yet. You want me to? You want to answer a hack sports talk radio question for me? Uh, that's the only reason I'm on the phone right now, Ken. John Breach joining us on the show. Where does Drew Brees fit into your top ten all time? Who? You know, uh, we had a brief talk about that on Monday with some of the CBS Sports guys, and I have him in the top five. Uh, you know, I, he's definitely a top ten quarterback of all time. But here's my two knocks on Breeze that I can't – and he's not in the top three. So he's either four or five in my top five. I'd have to look a lot more into it. But the reason he's not is you look at the era he's played in, and, like, he hasn't won an MVP. And not that that's, like, an end-all, be-all of where he should rank, but it just tells you that there's always been a quarterback better than him in his own era, whether that's Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, there's always been someone better. He lost out in MVP last year to Patrick Mahomes. Drew Brees came in second. Uh, he's actually finished runner-up for MVP four times, which is the most of anybody in NFL history, and it's kind of the story of his career. And then he's never had that transcendent season where you're just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, the Patriots, 16 in 2007. Uh, Peyton Manning had a huge 2006. He won MVP in 2009 and then lost to uh, Drew Brees in Super Bowl that year. But he won Super Bowls with two teams, the Colts and the Broncos. And so there's just things you can point to. And when I look at Drew Brees, it's a guy who has been playing with one of the most prolific offensive minds, Sean Payton, in NFL history. And if you were to put Peyton Manning in that system or you put uh, Dan Marino in that system or John Elway in that, or Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers had played in New Orleans, he might have thrown for 7,000 yards. So uh, Drew Brees is, you know, without a doubt, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. Uh, and he's at four or five for me, but we'll never crack the top three. But, yeah, four or five is good, you know? That's, that's high. Had John Breach on Twitter. I think Kansas City is the biggest threat to Baltimore in the AFC once the playoffs get started. Why am I wrong or why am I right? No, you're absolutely right. And, actually, I've been – I can't believe more people aren't saying this. All I hear about is that Baltimore is the best team in the AFC and they're just going to easy street to the Super Bowl and the AFC title – and I don't feel the same way because the Chiefs are literally a thorn in the Ravens' side. Lamar Jackson has faced them twice. He's 0-2. Uh, 
if, if a healthy Chiefs team face a healthy Ravens team tomorrow on a neutral field, I'm going to take Kansas City. If they're playing in Baltimore, I'm probably going to still take Kansas City, but I'd have to think about it a little more. And if they're playing in Kansas City, I'm definitely taking Kansas City. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Chiefs have the offense that can keep up with the Ravens' offense, number one. They also have an offense that can score points quickly. So if they jump out to, say, a 20 to nothing lead or something like that in the Ravens, we really haven't seen Baltimore be in a situation where they have to play comeback football. And the Chiefs are a team that could absolutely put someone behind quickly. And so we don't know how the Ravens are going to react when they have to start throwing the ball more. Uh, we saw what happened to them against the Chargers last year when they had to throw the ball the whole second half, and that got ugly. Uh, so, yeah, I am absolutely on board the team that says the Chiefs might be the team to beat because they are the team that can beat Baltimore. John Breach joining us on the show. I'm so glad you agree with me. Why am I relieved? I don't understand. I, I, because I, I felt the same way you did. I think we're talking a lot about the Patriots and maybe how they're on their beginning of their demise, even though that seems to be an every year tradition now. And we're obviously talking a lot about Baltimore and, and Lamar Jackson changing out the NFL. And I see Phil, or excuse me, I, I see Patrick Mahomes since he comes back from his injury, and there they go. They're great again. I mean, I mean, what else am I supposed to do here, John? I, I think that this is a good team that's a threat. Uh, for this for this Baltimore team. Let me get to the Bills-Patriots game later on today. Both these teams are in the postseason. Are we making too big a deal about this football game in Week 16? Oof, that is, you know, on one hand we are because it does feel like, look, for the Bills to win the division, the Patriots have to lose next week to the Dolphins, and I don't think any of us feel like that's going to happen, even though the season has been unpredictable and Fifth Magic does weird things, and maybe that's a win that he would uh, pull out of his beard. But it, it does feel like if I'm the Bills, this is the kind of win you want going into the playoffs. Knowing Because if you can beat the Patriots, you can beat the Texans. If the Steelers get the 60, you can beat the Steelers. They played a close game with the Ravens a few weeks ago, that 24-17 loss. So you beat the Patriots, all of a sudden you're pretty confident and you're feeling like you can beat any team in the AFC playoff field. Uh, so from if I'm a Bills fan or somebody who is cheering for the demise of the Patriots, then this is definitely a big game. Uh, but as far as how it's going to affect the AFC East standings or the playoff seedings, it, it's not a big game, which is weird because we have two double-digit win teams playing this late in the season. Uh, but, yeah, that's the truth. It's not really going to have much effect on the, on the division at, or probably not even the, uh, AFC East playoff, or the AFC division playoff seedings. Should I be making a big deal about the filming thing with the Patriots? I, you know, I don't think so. I feel like, look, if the Patriots, no team comes up with excuses or blocks people out faster than the Patriots. And the fact that they were willing to admit, I just don't think this team is dumb enough to do what happened. Just send a guy with uh, a badge on into a press box and even let the Cleveland Browns know about it. There, so there's just all these red flags that like, hey, look, the Patriots have broken the rules before. But they're also a smart team that just wouldn't be caught red-handed like this, although maybe that's what they want. Maybe they want to be caught red-handed to have us look somewhere else because they're doing something else. But I will say, you can't film another team from the press box. They absolutely violated NFL rules, so there needs to be some sort of punishment thrown out. And just because there is a history there, uh, you know, I'm not sure how severe it should be, but maybe dock them like a fifth, sixth-round draft pick. So I, I do absolutely think they should be punished. But I do think we are kind of, uh, you know, it's a little bit bigger than it probably should be. Is there a problem with the Rams? Yes. I, I just think that it's one of those things where you have 
Sean McVay system, uh, other teams have kind of caught up to it. He's, you know, he's, he loves putting guys in motion. He, he loves running his jet sweeps. And now other defenses, it happens, you see it with quarterbacks all the time. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes hasn't been as good this year as he was last year because defenses they haven't caught up to him necessarily, but they figured out how to slow him down more than they had last year. And, and that, mm-hmm. so now Sean McVay's in his third season, and it does feel like the defense is still good. It's just that the offense isn't putting up the numbers it did the past two seasons. And, and so it's really that simple. He's going to have to go into this offseason because they're probably not going to make the playoffs and kind of go back to the drawing board and say, all right, these are things that are working. These are things I need to take out of. And he's going to have to completely revamp his offense. But, you know, he's shown that he's a smart offensive mind, and I think he can do that. But, yeah, I think as far as this year, teams have caught up to him. So if he, he's either going to change, uh, and if he doesn't change, the Rams are going to be bad next year. John Breach, CBS Sports, joining us on the show. I see Seattle 11-3. I see San Francisco at 11-3. The Rams are 8-6. and So I think what you said was just great. When I look at those three teams, are we looking at the three best quarterbacks or the three best coaches? Oof. The three, three best quarterbacks in the NFC or just that's why they're good because they're quarterbacks Let, versus their coaches? Let's go NFC. Coaches or quarterbacks with those three teams? I would probably say... If I have to lump them all together, I'm going coaches because I think McVay and Kyle Shanahan are the reasons why Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pete Carroll, obviously, big, big fingerprints all over the Seahawks defense. And the Seahawks, you know, that defense has been very good this year. Uh, but, you know, Russell Wilson's Russell Wilson. He would be good no matter what coach he was playing for, no matter what team he was playing for. Um, so, but. Since I'm picking two coaches, I'm going to say it's the coaches who are uh, keeping those teams all above 500. John, I can't thank you enough. You know I appreciate the time. All the very best. Hey, how many interviews have you done during the holiday season? Real quick. Uh, ever in my life or just this year? T- this year. This year, so far. Count all of December. Um, probably under 15, but more than 10. It's probably like, we'll say 12. How many have asked you what your favorite Christmas movie was? You know, you're the first one, Ken. I wasn't going to ask you. I just wanted to know how many asked you what it was. I didn't ask you if what your favorite Christmas movie was. I just wanted to know how many had asked you. I, did, I didn't want to admit it on radio, so I'm glad you're just telling me about the question rather than asking it. It makes me feel well, better. Well, nope. Now I'm going to do it. What's your favorite Christmas movie? I, I hate to admit it, and I don't even know if it counts as a Christmas movie. It's not Die Hard. It's Love Actually. That's, uh, uh, that's it. Love that's that Actually. It. I'm going to lose all my followers on Twitter. No, uh, this is brutal. I've never seen it. I'm not going to rip you for never. I, I've never seen the movie. Who's in the movie? Love Actually, uh, Liam Neeson. God, I can't even. Th- uh, Liam Neeson's in Love Actually? Oh, yeah. You you got an action hero in a Christmas movie. You can't you can't is turn he, that down. Is he killing somebody in it? What is it? Okay. There, there are no deaths in the movie. There are no deaths. Is this a rom-com? Uh, it is. It is a rom com. It is. Oh, it is. Do, my, my wife got me hooked on it. Now we watch it uh, once a year, and so it's slowly it's creeped up my Christmas movie list. Oh my god! Yeah, I know. That's, that's a you great. You everyone. Colin Firth is in this movie. Holy uh, Toledo! There you, there you go. You got the whole cast list. All right, John. Thank you very much <laughs> for the time. The great John Breach. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, John. The great John Breach on the show. Tom. Yes, Ken. <laughs> what, what do you mean, come on? Did you just want me to get out or I didn't know the movie? No, you didn't.
know the movie. You don't know anything about Love Actually. Really? What, 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 what is this? I did. I'd not even heard of this movie. Romantic comedies ever. You don't know anything about romantic comedies if you haven't seen. No, no. I almost said something worse to you. I know Sleepless in Seattle. Okay, and you've I'm got mail. Yeah, those are great ones too. And this when Harry met category. Sally. Yeah, Notting Hill is so good too. This is the same category. Notting Hill. Yeah, I'm not even a big rom com guy. But oh, is that really, is that another really Hugh Grant? Good ones are amazing. They really. Are. Oh, this one's got some heavy hitters in it. 2003. Yeah. Where have I been, people man? Say Damn. This is the single best romantic comedy, Love Actually, and also really? many people. Yeah, of course, and many people it argue says that the, it's a Christmas movie too. It I mean, says it is a the, Christmas movie. Ultimate romantic comedy, Love Actually. Yeah, you got to watch it, man. Kira Knightley's in this. Alan Rickman is in this movie. That's right, Sir Alan. You got a date night here. Wow. Buddy. No, I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm gonna watch it just because I haven't heard of it. No, mean I'm gonna sit there and watch this thing. Uh, That's not gonna happen. All right, break time. Eight five five two one two four CBS. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Up next. Uh, what do you want me to do? You want me to attack the Browns? Or you want me to attack Steelers fans? Which one you want, Tom? Your pick. How about both? All right, fine. You're a CEO of your franchise, act like it. And you know what? The fans were wrong in Pittsburgh, but uh, you know, I'm gonna act like I'm gonna let them act like they're right anyway. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. Eight five five two one two four CBS. Eight five five two one two four two two seven. I brought this up earlier last week in Cleveland and I didn't get hammered for it. Can you believe that? Um I got to tell you, I don't know what's going on with Baker Mayfield. I don't know. If the, I, I don't know if it's Freddie Kitchens. I don't know if it's himself. I think there's got to be some shared blame. I can't go 16 weeks into a bad season and go, it's only on Freddie, and that's it. And and there have been plenty of people who highlighted, and I brought this up many times throughout the weeks, that yeah, when when Freddie Kitchens first got hired back in Jan- last January, he had told Baker Mayfield, hey, get away from football for a minute. You have some alone time there. I don't think Freddie Kitchens met the entire offseason. And I don't think that Baker Mayfield met the entire offseason. I'm hoping for, for, for Browns fan sanity, and you know me, I'm hoping for my own sanity, that he is adjusting to what the NFL is. And I think that this year has hopefully been a humbling experience. He sounds much different this last month than where he sounded before. Uh, less shots at other teams, less shots at other players, bearing the hatchet with coaches... Previous coaches, they're, they're, it's been different over the last month for Baker. I hope it stays that way. When you win and you're brash, that's fun. When you lose and you're brash, you look like a goof. So I hope he's in that better spot. And I'm hoping that the 2019 season or the offseason of 2019 leads into the 2020 offseason where he'll know better what to do and prepare himself and get ready. Lamar Jackson looks like a master study. Right now, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, they look lost. Yet for Baker, one of the things that I, I bring up, and I'm going to be called a boomer, I'm going to be called old, I'm not that old, I'm a millennial. But, and there's still some things that I think should ring true from previous generations. So there's a lot about the boomer generation that I go, that don't add up. That don't add up either. i got pretty strong opinions about it, actually. I don't want to share them here, but I'm going to be looked at as an old curmudgeon and I'm ready to take my beating because here we go. When you won two weeks ago against Cincinnati, and it wasn't a good win, it wasn't a pretty win. Every win's a good win, but it wasn't a pretty win, but you still won the game. Baker Mayfield went out in the post-game press conference, and he was wearing just a white t-shirt. It was ratty and ugly. So I wrote some things down. Because the week before, he went out there, and he was wearing a trucker hat, 
and he was wearing a button-up T-shirt, and he had his hand wrapped up, and there were people making fun of him for that because the way he looked at his hand. Then a couple of weeks before that, he had a he had a beanie on, and he looked like he looked a little different then. And then in another one, he had this big scarf and a jacket and another hoodie on, and people were calling him a bum. And I wrote all these things down because when I think you're a CEO of a franchise, which Baker Mayfield is, I, I think there's a certain look that you have to give. I think you have to wear a suit. I'm, I don't care if you're on the sidelines and you wear your hat backwards. I'm not going down that road. It's been done by somebody else much more powerful, much more popular than me. I'm not even bringing that up. I just think, though, if you're one of the 32 quarterbacks, or really 20 because the other ones are up in the air, but if you're one of the 20 guys where your team has said, here's the keys to the franchise, we want everything to be about you, and we want everything to be because of you. I think you can learn from the mistakes of what you say, I think you can learn from the mistakes you make on the field. I think you can learn the mistakes from how you look. So I don't think this is an end-all, be-all. I just wish the guy would wear a suit. And there's not a lot of people who beat me up on that. Because when you win, and this is what bothered me the most, they lost last week, and it looks ugly, but when you lose this, when you lose against the Baltimore Ravens, and then you don't wear a suit or you don't look presentable, like he didn't look presentable in the post-game press conference last week, Then I just see meme after meme after meme. When you're the CEO of a franchise, if you're the CEO of a company, you have to look respectable. You have to look like a guy who I want to get a job from. And you can tell me all you want that he's 24 years old. He's the leader of that entire franchise. He's the leader of the entire building. And if Sam Darnold's doing it or any one of the other guys are doing it, I'll rip them too. Because when you are the leader of a franchise, when everybody in the building, their bottom lines are about what you do, That means you have to present yourself in the best way you possibly can. So I'll just tell you exactly what I read on the internet over the last couple of weeks, and then I'll put in a couple more. In a post-game press conference, after they won the game against Cincinnati, Baker looks like Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Baker looks like he has moobs. Baker looks like he has man bleeps. Baker looks like Randy Marsh. Baker looks like Snowman from Eastbound and Down. Baker looks like looks like a hipster brewer. Baker looks like a hipster record store owner. Baker looks like Danny DeVito. Baker looks like John Candy from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Your quarterback in the NFL. What you do is different from what a lot of other people do. I can judge what you do on the field game by game. And there will always be hot takes. There will always be people who say you're still extremely good. There is going to be other people who say you suck. But I look at a guy like Mitch Trubisky, who has not been that great throughout the entire season. Started to come out of it a little bit. Don't get me wrong. But at the beginning of the year, boy, there was a lot of nasty stuff ledged toward him. But I can't make fun of Baker. I can't make fun of Mitch Trubisky and make a meme out of him and make it even worse. I don't know about how great you're going to be, and I'm still bothered by the way you play. But at least don't make yourself a meme. It's one thing to be bad on the field. It's another thing to be embarrassing overall. And so this is me crossing that threshold, I'm sure, between millennial to boomer to curmudgeon to a person who doesn't understand young people. Maybe I don't anymore. Since I've started in radio, I was single. Now I have three kids. Now I have a wife. Now I have a mortgage. I have people who who depend on me. So maybe I'm part of the problem. But I only have those three people who depend on me, plus my wife, so if that's four, and my dog, because that's a living thing, that's five. That's it. 
Baker Mayfield, as a CEO, has hundreds of team employees, plus their families, because the bottom line is still always going to be improved by how good the most important player is and how that most important player looks. So I know that he might have a brand that he's trying to promote. I still say find a different way. You can tell me Cam Newton all the way up and down. There are plenty of there are plenty of memes about Cam Newton. And when Cam Newton loses, and when he still goes out there in a babushka, he looks ridiculous. And it makes it even worse. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to play poorly. It's an entirely different thing to be embarrassing after the fact. 855-2124-CBS. Up next, I got to get the Steelers fans, and I want a midseason NBA tournament, but I want to keep tanking killed for the rest of my life. And I think I found a way that we can do both. This is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. July 3rd, Motley Crue, First Energy Stadium. Will kid number four be conceived? Find out this summer, only on the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. I can't wait. Like, Def Leppard, they're okay. Joan Jett, I'm not really into. Sorry. Motley Crue, like, turn it up. Turn it up for a second. Yeah. I love the entire catalog. Damn, Sam, that's some good stuff. You got Motley Crue, you got Poison on that same show, July 3rd, First Energy Stadium, Cleveland, Ohio. That's going to be great. How much Oh my how God. Much time do you usually get? I've never been to one of these combo shows, maybe only one ever. How much time do you usually get with every, each act? It depends. It's like, an, well, yeah, no, that, that depends too because I went to, uh, I've seen Motley Crue before. Because they had, uh, they were on tour with they were, they had like five or six bands before. It's like an all day thing, and I remember oh, I'll never cool. forget. P- people are gonna want to come through the radio at this because it was one of those early two thousands bands, and no one admits that they like now. But still, the band that was so good live that day, Papa Roach. Wow. The energy was off the freaking charts. So good live. And then, like, uh, there was a couple other ones that were there. That one, who's that one band where the guy looks like Sandra Bernhardt and says, "I'm sorry, Buck Cherry." That was the name of the band. They suck. I don't even know who that is. Oh, they were so bad. It was, it was, it was still last decade. I can't believe Papa Roach. That's that's an upset. That's the upset oh, man. of the day. They were so good live. I swear to God, I wouldn't make. I wouldn't say that just for a hot take. They were so oh, good live. You. And then you had that Sandra Bernhardt knockoff get up there. I'm sorry. <laughs> great. Oh, great. You know, people go after rappers for lyrics. That's all that guy talks about. Who's sex? But great. Got it. Next. It was it was almost like they were Steel Panther. At least Steel Panther tries to be a parody of hard rock. But I have been to uh I've been to Motley Crue. They were great. And everybody the first thing I said when I was going to that concert, which I, I gotta find a way to go is uh, Vince Neil sucks live. He's not good live. I'm not going to lie to you about that. He was not that great. But he gives you ample opportunity to sing along. Because now Vince Neil looks more like me. So he still tries to run up and down the stage, but he doesn't have his wind because he looks more like me. But you know the words. You know all the words to Motley Crue. You don't know the words to Kickstart My Heart or Wild Side? Shout at the Devil? Half the song is shout. You know the words. Just sing it. Tommy's still good. 
Mick Mars, who has a debilitating back back injury, he still finds a way to go up there. And it's so. If they started out the same way they did over a decade ago, I'm going to be so happy. Man, when they were on like the what was the the one Los Angeles type of tour they did, and they did this whole thing, and you could see this curtain. And you see all of a sudden the spotlight goes on and you see just like a silhouette and it's Mick Mars. It's and it like does the whole thing for kickstart my heart. Amazing. And then you hear Tommy doom, 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 and this big ass curtain drops all these fireworks blossom music center, man. All these fireworks are going off and the place goes crazy. They were going nuts. That's one of my favorite songs ever, too. Yep. They had a camera that was going around that was basically to show women topless. I don't think they can do that now. But it was a great show. 855 212 cbs Did you say? This is probably 2007. Somewhere in there. 2008. I was working at the radio station then. So it was somewhere in there. It, w- it wasn't that long ago, but it was probably longer than I realized. It was a great show, man. Hey, it was. I'm. I swear to God, it was an ass kicker. It was so good of a show. I'm actually a little bit of afraid to go to it because I don't want them to suck and be like, "Oh man, I remember what it was." Like I don't want that to happen. So I'm a little worried about that. But everything else, hey, brother, we're fine. We're good to go. And I can't say for sure. I'm just going to be honest with you, America. And I know I have family members who are listening in, maybe on 1240 in Youngstown. You see three sons there now. You might see four coming up in a couple of Christmases from now. Because if she wants a fourth, that's your last chance. Because when I get the Motley Crew in me, well, just pointing out, Motley Crew plus Jack Daniels plus Kenny Carmen equals fourth kid. That's how it works. I have a midseason NBA tournament for everybody. I'll text I'll tech Steelers fans later. I have an NCAA, I have an N, uh, NBA midseason tournament for everybody. I got to run this button. Now, Tom, Billy, you guys are both in on this if you want to be. All right? I can't wait to hear it. Because I have to throw this by you guys. And the reason I'm doing this is because I want to work it through you guys. Because I think I got it, but I'm not sure yet. So I want to use you guys the best I can. So, Billy, if you're in, I know you're a big Nets fan and things aren't going really your way right now. But this year's a learning year. Even though Kyrie's certainly not a leader, but either way. I think I know a way to do the midseason tournament. I'll bring this up with Sean Hyken, too, coming up at 1 1 p.m. Eastern. You take all the teams. I think the best way to do a mid-season tournament, you can still make your money. I think you should have one-and-done mid-season tournaments. No actual series. You do one-and-done, and that's the way it goes. You can have it in one location. The entire NBA. This is this. By the way, this is instead of the All-Star game. You can name an All-Star team. You can do whatever. But instead of actually having an All-Star game, you have the midseason tournament as a week-long celebration of NBA basketball in one city. In Los Angeles, in Las Vegas, Miami, Milwaukee, wherever you want to. NBA teams, NBA cities, bid on it, away you go. So you take your top four out of each side, the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. You separate those. Then you take every other team and you throw them all in one big tournament. You have two separate tournaments. You ready? The winner of the top four, which would be the eight, the winner of the top eight seeds of that tournament, I want a good something that's good here. You either get the number two overall pick or, or 
home court advantage throughout the playoffs, or both? Tom, Billy, your thoughts. I, I have another part of it, too, but that first part, go. Tom, go. So just to make sure that I am with you, the top four seeds in each conference, you say, are out of this. They get buyed out of it. They are they are buyed out of this tournament. They have this their tournament. own separate. They have their own separate tournament. Oh, the top four, I, I see, yeah, I see, I the see, top four in the East, the top four in the West. There have eight. There are eight teams. They're in their own tournament. The winner of that tournament, you can do it either or, or you can do both. They get the number two overall pick, or okay, or they get home court throughout the playoffs. Now the winner of that tournament, I don't know if you want to give the best team out of that because they could end up being the NBA champions. I don't know if you want to give the best team out of that the number two overall pick. There's your flaw, yeah. That might be a little like ooh, imagine the, if the Warriors, if the Warriors had won this tournament in previous years, they probably would have oh. taken the pick, and then oh. they would have just been continually stacking themselves. There you go. Like home court throughout the playoffs is so whatever. Much. Yeah. So I think I make it home court throughout the playoffs. I but I wanted to think of something that I could add to make it a little bit zestier. Well, they 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 throw this million dollars a player thing in the mix now apparently. So it could be home court in the playoffs plus a million dollars. These guys turn down tens of millions of dollars to play in the city they want to anyway. Does a million dollars really make that big of a difference? I mean, you're playing basketball, not so maybe to the it max, does. Not to the max guys, but to everyone else on the team. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I still don't know if a million dollars each so does it. So, what about the losers pool? What about the bottom? So out of, out of out of 30 teams, now you have 22 teams, right? So you have to make that way all fit. Now, I don't know how you make that all fit. Okay? That is one little, uh, that's one little missing piece there. It's a loose end. But out of the other 22 teams, you have them play in a tournament that seeds five through the bottom. So that is right now Pacers at five through the Atlanta Hawks, who are a six-win basketball team in the East, that's Houston at five. Ooh, that's a good one. Against Golden State, who's a six-win basketball team in the West. You have them playing a tournament. This helps eliminate tanking. Because then the best team that wins that, the team that wins that tournament gets the number one overall pick the next year. I don't like this at all, Ken. <laughs> Why? Well, because and it's it's it has nothing to do with your idea of the tournament. It's just because me as a diehard NBA fan, I'm more of a traditionalist. You know, like I I just oh god, tradition schmagician. I don't want to hear about that. You have to hear tell me where it. it doesn't make sense. It's it's not that it's not that it doesn't make sense. I just I mean, when are we going to do this tournament? Do in the middle of the season. They call it a midseason tournament. It could take a week. You could get this done in a week. I don't know. I'm leery about the whole thing. I still, I still don't like, uh, you know, uh, teams wearing road jerseys at home. Huh. We got a staunch traditionalist here. My, a question I have is about like game imbalance. Like you're just going to accept then at the end of the year that some teams have more have played more games in the regular season than others, or is this like a pause from the regular season? This counts in the regular season records, right? Yeah. Why not? That's what I think it should be, too. But then you just have this weird thing at the end of the year where you have some teams played more games than uh, some teams went beyond 82 games, I guess. Or maybe some teams are less, depending on how they do it. They really should take games off the schedule to do this. They should not be adding anything. Hmm. I agree with that. So does it make sense, though? I think the bones of it makes sense. Yeah. I, I would like to develop this a little further before it went into action. I... I I like the number one pick being auctioned off, though. I think that's, I think that's very interesting. Let's do it competitively instead of the, like the lottery just seems broken because now the odds are so wide that 
like the Knicks being the worst team in the league means being the worst team in the league means nothing for your draft pick anymore. Like nothing. So now you have teams. It's almost like you have teams that are stuck. I mean, the Knicks are such a good example, but I know the Cavs are another good example. But you have teams that are stuck that like the the system that's supposed to help them out by yeah, cycling the, them the a pick only isn't thing, working anymore. The only thing that that throws me off of this is why I'm I'm going to run this by Sean Hyken and he, he he who knows he might blow up my spot and call me a total idiot and hang up. I, he knows basketball. Let's be serious. What's the incentive, like you guys were just talking about, we're kind of dancing around. What's the incentive for the current player? Like the million dollars is there, so that's that makes it better. Yeah, a million dollars. You have to have cash lining all of this. Yeah. But like what's the incentive? Because I, well, I'm not going to go give, I'm not going to go bust my ass just so we get the number one overall pick so you can draft some guy better than me. Like that I, I throws that off. Fair. I think that's fair. So what about this? Whoever wins it, whoever wins that tournament, I would assume it's not going to, like, Golden State is not going to win that tournament. Orlando is not going to win that. That is more than likely going to be, I mean, let's just go. It's more than likely going to be the five seed out of that, right? Yeah, like the Sixers are. How about six this? Seed in the East right now, they'd be the exactly. to win that. Oh, tournament. that'd be perfect. So yeah. you get home court advantage throughout the playoffs and the number one overall pick. Huh? Eh? Whoa. Wait, you get home court in the playoffs for the second, the secondary tournament also? You get home court in the, in the actual NBA postseason. You get home court in the playoffs, and you get next year's number one pick by winning this tournament. I think it helps you be a better franchise instead of tanking it out. Other minor problems uh-huh. that you don't—you're not necessarily automatically qualified for the playoffs. You could have a terrible second half and have clinched something that you didn't aren't there for. I okay. You got to make the playoffs, but if you do, you get home court advantage throughout. I think that's that's something I I thought I assumed, but I guess that's not assu- uh, assumable. If I should say, you know what? I'll run it by Sean Hyken. That coming up next. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.